Well, open your Bibles tonight to Matthew chapter 17. This is the last service of the old year, and we kick off a new year uh, uh, in a few hours here. And so I, I, uh, I want to focus in on one, one thought tonight, and, uh, and hopefully it'll be a part of our uh, thought process and all that we do in the new year. Matthew chapter 17 and verse number 20, the disciples have just failed and uh, they're confused. They're wondering why and they uh, inquired of the Lord in verse number 19, verse 20, he gives them the answer. He said unto them, because of your unbelief, Verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. We live in a day when it's common to hear people say, Think big. But the Bible tells us to do just the opposite of that. In reality, actually, we need to think small. In Zechariah chapter number 4 and verse number 10, and I'm not going to try to give you the historical connection concerning the rebuilding of the temple and what have you and all of the things associated with that day in which he ministered, but but th- this statement is made because no doubt many of those people thought their efforts in vain. They thought certain things would never come to pass. And, and uh, the Lord said, For who hath despised the day of small things? So instead of thinking big, I want us to close out this old year thinking about what we need to think about in the new year, and that is we need to think small. And, and I say that because the Bible puts a big emphasis upon that. And so let me just share some thoughts with you regarding the little things. First of all, they are greatly important. Everything, everything has a small beginning. There's first of all the blade and then the ear and then the corn. And there's the tiny seed. And from that little tiny seed come the lovely flyers. There's the little acorn, and from the little acorn comes the mighty oak. You know, we think about the little rivulet, the little stream, maybe a, uh, maybe a spring up in the Ozarks somewhere, and eventually it becomes a rushing river. And then from the dim rays of the morning light comes the blazing heat of the, of the sun at noontime. So everything starts out in a small beginning, and Jesus often spoke about the little things. He spoke about the hairs on our head, the lilies of the field, the little sparrows, the fish, uh, uh, the seed, the lamp, the moat, the jot, the tittle, and on and on and on. He was always making reference to things that, that are little, and of course the Bible is full of examples in that regards, we think about Moses and the future of Israel, and, 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 and get that in your mind, that the future of Israel, 
those promises that God had made to, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, all of those promises are resting upon the safety of that little baby named Moses. And, and so when you stop and think about how that something that seems so little, so minor, is actually the hinge upon which the door of prophecy turns. At one time, during the time of Joash, the, 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 the fulfillment of the royal line from which came the Messiah rested on one six-month-old baby. Think about that. All of the exceeding great and precious promises of God concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, our redemption, everything about that is resting on the safety of that little six-month-old baby. The whole plan of redemption rested upon the safety of the child Jesus. As I mentioned this morning, whenever Mary voluntarily you know, offered herself as a vessel to the Lord, uh, here she subjected herself to a great many difficulties. And one of those, of course, was the hatred of Herod and them, you know, fleeing into Egypt for safety. And through all of this, we find that God is involved in the little things of our life. And it reminds us that little things are of great importance. You know, the little lad's lunch fed 5,000 people. Uh, the life of Paul, I love the story there where the men let him down over the wall in a basket. Think about that. The life, the ministry of the Apostle Paul, you know, that great missionary uh, apostle that God used so mightily, they're in the hands of those holding the ropes, letting him down over the wall to safety. And you look throughout not only the Bible, but you look throughout all of history. And, and you see the importance of little things. Uh, history tells us that it was a little bit of debris in the water that convinced Columbus to proceed to go on with the mission. You know, it would have been easy to say, "Well, you know, we're never going to we're never going to find what we're looking for." And had they listened to some folks, they would have said, "You know." Well, the world is flat. If you're not careful, you're going to get out there so far, you're going to go over the edge and, you know, off of the earth and all kinds of things. But, you know, in spite of all of the discouragement and, and so on and so forth, he saw a little bit of debris in the water and said, we need to go ahead. It was the falling apple that convinced Newton of gravity. And, and again and again and again, we find the little Adam, for example, unlocked the great power that that we so desperately fear today when we think about the atom bomb, the hydrogen bomb, the atomic bomb, and so forth, and, and what we've turned into a monster also can produce power to generate uh, these dams and produce electricity and so forth. And all of that, you know, is bound up in a little atom. The problem is, although all of this evidence shows that little things are of great importance, the fact of the matter is, little things are generally ignored. You know, we've been so conditioned to think in terms of big things, in terms of greatness, that a lot of times we forget about the little things. We, we remember Moses, but we forget about the bravery of his mother, you know, we, we, we forget about, you know, those that, those that contributed in some way. We, you know, we give David all of the credit, but 
sometimes we forget all about Jonathan. And it was Jonathan that warned David, you know, of the of his father's anger and the danger that he was in. We think about Ruth, but sometimes we forget about Naomi, you know. And it was through the example of Naomi that Ruth followed her and so forth and, and actually become a part of the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. We think about Peter, but some way or another we forget about Andrew, and yet it was his brother Andrew that brought Peter to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, nearly everyone will do the things that attract attention, those things that will produce praise. You can get almost anything to do stuff like that. But whenever it comes down to the little things, you know, there's so many times that um, that if there's no praise for it, no appreciation for it, nobody wants to do it. It remi- always reminds me of the story of the uh, the, the little boy, you know, and every night he listened to his dad pray, and his prayer was the same every night, or at least this was included in part of the prayer. He said, Lord, bless the missionaries. You know, if I had a million dollars, I'd give it to missions. And night after night after night after night, he's, he's making that prayer. And finally, one night when it was all over, the little boy looked up at him and said, Daddy, couldn't we give a dollar? Yeah, think about that. Sometimes we talk about the big things we would do if we could do, you see. But the fact of the matter is there's always some little thing that we can do. And yet, sadly, those are generally ignored. Not only that, but we need to think about little things because... On the negative side, they can be gateways to iniquity. Solomon said in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 15, Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. In other words, those little foxes in there in the vineyard could tear up those vines and ruin the vineyard, you know, unless unless they're caught, unless they're, uh, they're killed and taken out of there, you see. And Paul said to the church at Corinth, Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Some of us know what it's like, you know, to have homemade bread. And you put that leaven in the bread, and boy, I, I can still smell that today. Mama making homemade bread. In fact, Bev for years made homemade bread. And that leaven in there, and boy, you know, it just was so good. But that little bit of leaven, you know, you didn't have to put in a half a pound of leaven to have a pound of bread. All it took was a little bit of leaven, and it affected the whole lump. And so Paul is saying to that church, don't you know that just as a little leaven leavens the whole lump, that all it takes is a little sin to pollute the entire church. And and so it's, it's the gateway to iniquity. We think about the drunkard, for example, and it begins with one drink. That's where it starts. I've, I don't think I've, I know I've never met anybody that just set out and determined, you know, well, I think I'm going to start drinking. I've always, uh, I, I've always had, uh, you know, a great desire to be the biggest drunk in the county. Nobody starts out that way. They don't, in fact, they don't start out to be an alcoholic. They just start out thinking they can take a drink and they can stop anytime they want to. As I've told the story so many times, the first, First time I tasted beer, you know, it was, 
It was the most awful stuff I ever tasted in my life. I, I, I wondered and I expressed, how does anybody drink something like this? But boy, it wasn't long. By the time I was 15, 16 years old, I was so addicted to it that I'd rather have it than any kind of liquid on earth. And, and that taste has stayed there all of my lifetime. It is something that was acquired and it started out with a little thing, just a drink, and, and it just absolutely ruined my life until the Lord delivered me from it. But, but you see, it's that little thing. It might be, you know, uh, it might be the, the, the trip to the dance hall that starts someone down a path that would cause someone to become a harlot, for example. It might be whenever someone's guilty of adultery. That doesn't just start, you know, by somebody walking up to someone saying, hey, how about we go shack up for the night? It doesn't start that way. You know how it starts? It starts with a glance. Just a glance, and the glance becomes a glare, and all of a sudden, you know, there is that lust involved, and all of a sudden there's the dropping of the little hints and so on and so forth, and it's just little by little by little by little until after a while you've got a full-blown affair and a family that is torn apart, you see. So it's that one little act of rebellion that so many times leads to a lifetime of regret, things that you can never undo things that you will regret until the day that you die. And, you know, like the prodigal son, there have been millions of people that's gone off into the far country. They've lost everything they had. And, and, and I'm just telling you, you, we can't afford to toy with sin, something we cannot play with. And so it's the gateway to iniquity, but it's the grounds for our interest as Christians. And I say that for two reasons. And one, I've just mentioned the fact that it can rob us. But secondly, it can reward us. And, and so let's think about some of the possibilities of the little things. Here's Moses. You know, here, here's the son of a slave woman. And yet he led Israel out of Egypt. In his mind and in the mind of everybody else, here was somebody that wasn't qualified for that job. I mean, he, he, he admitted the fact, you know, that I, I'm not able to do this. And the Lord says, I want you to go down and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he, who am I? Who am I to march up to Pharaoh and uh, say, let my people go? But here, here is a man who was the, just the son of a slave woman, and yet God used him to lead Israel out of bondage. I think about Gideon. Remember, he is the least son in the least family of the least tribe of the least nation, and yet God used him to defeat the Midianites. I mean, whenever you look at, look at all of the details of it, I mean, everything is against him. There's no reason for him to succeed whatsoever. And against all odds, God used him. There's David, the son of Jesse, who slew Goliath. David, of all of the sons, David was the, he would be the last one you and I would pick for a job like that. He was the most unlikely of all of the boys to go out against Goliath, and yet that is exactly the kind of person God was looking for. There was the little maid that directed Naaman the prophet and cured him uh, of, of leprosy. Uh, you, you know, when we think about the great things of Elijah and Elisha and what have you, and sometimes we forget about the ministry that 
you know, that they played in, in, in the, the lives of the people and the people that attributed in some way or contributed, I should say, to their success. And so here's the little maid telling Naaman, you go down to the prophet and do what he tells you to do and he'll cleanse you of your leprosy. And so everything's hinging on the testimony of the little maid. Come to the New Testament and there's the poor widow and the two mites. And the Lord said that she has given more than they all. Just two mites. Now, you know, uh, speaking of it strictly from the standpoint of dollars and cents, that woman, without a doubt, had given the least amount of money of all of the contributors that day. But the Lord's not looking at what she gave. He's looking at what she had left. And that's the way the Lord measures the size of our gift. That's why God rewards us on the basis of our faithfulness. Faithfulness requires different things of different people. Take somebody out here in a nursing home somewhere. They don't have any income. I mean, what little Social Security they get, it all goes to pay for their housing in a nursing home someplace. They're physically not able to get out and do what you and I are able to do. God doesn't expect out of them what he expects out of us. And so whenever he says that this woman who gave two mites have given more than anyone, he is simply saying she gave all. He said they gave out of their abundance, but this woman has given all she had. She didn't hold anything back. Little things. It was Paul, the little the little, the very meaning of his name, Paul, the little one. And yet he was the spiritual giant of his day. I think about D.L. Moody, who was a shoe clerk, and yet God used him. Here was a man that, you know, a lot like me in that he didn't know how to pronounce a lot of words and his grammar was horrendous, and yet... And yet some way God used him to shake two continents. God used him to, uh, to, to win literally thousands upon thousands of people. And, and his name is even revered today when we think about the Bible college and the church and all of the writings and the things that are attributed to his ministry. Just a shoe clerk. There's Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday, a professional ball player. Well, Billy Sunday was used mightily of God during his day. And, and yet, I, I mean, here, here is a guy that wasn't your typical preacher in any way whatsoever. One of the first books that, that I read after being saved was a book that my, my pastor had given to me, and it was about the life of Gypsy Smith. Here, here is a, here's a guy that is a, a, a gypsy boy traveling around from place to place and taught that the way to live, you know, is to steal and just take advantage of people and what have you. And yet God saved him and used him mightily. And folks, that list goes on and on and on. The difference between success and failure is the little things. Somebody watching Michelangelo many years ago as he was painting, they said, you make so much over the, the trifles. Why, why do you do that? And he said, trifles make perfection, and perfections, perfection is no trifle. And so if we're going to do things right as the children of God, 
then we need to focus on the little things. And, and, and let me just give you some, some thoughts on that, and, and I, I'm going to be through and uh, turn it over to Tim for the night. A handshake sometimes can lead someone to, to joining the church. You know, a lot of times we get the idea, and, and I am so appreciative of the, of the friendly people in the church. Uh, thank God for that. And, and everybody appreciates a friendly church, but people are looking for something far more than that. They're, they're looking for someone to be their friend. And sometimes just shaking someone's hand and letting them know it's really good to, to see you can make a big difference. Sometimes it might be a smile can encourage somebody that is lonely. <laughs> you know, about the last thing you need whenever, whenever you're kind of down in the dumps and you've got the mully grubs is somebody to come up with their lower lip dragging the ground like chicken little crying the sky is falling the sky is falling and sometimes all it takes is just a smile from someone or maybe it's just a kind word uh just just a, a kind, kind word to somebody somebody that you you hardly even know it it might be a little what we would think of as a little ministry like a nursery worker and the nursery worker working there in the nursery, taking care of those little children, can take care of the of the child while the unsaved mother sits in the service and hears the gospel and could be saved. A little track that we carry, you know, in our pocket and hand out in a restaurant or gas station or wherever you might be, sometimes that little track can lead to, to somebody accepting Christ as their Savior. It might be a card to a missionary. might be just exactly what they need to get them through another day on the mission field. A good deed might lead to a new friend. Everybody, everybody likes friends. And sometimes all it takes is for somebody to do a good deed to show an act of kindness, just letting them know you care. And then a lot of times, you know, it's just a matter of being courteous and that can, you know, that can prevent some strife, uh, church fuss and a split just, just by common courtesy. And uh, the list goes on and on. And those are the possibilities. And uh, I, I'm going to have to bring this to a close and uh, wrap it up. But just as there are possibilities, it can, it can lead to some big problems also, the little things. And uh, I've often said concerning church splits, and one of the saddest things is to watch a church disintegrate. I, I, to see a church that's been used mightily of God, and all of a sudden there will be dissension that will pop up. And as a result of that, you've got a church split. And uh, it's so sad, all of the people that get hurt. And by the way, that's not something you mend overnight or even for years. That's something that stays with the church uh, for generations. And usually, usually it's not over some big doctrinal issue. It's usually over some personality clash 
we don't like, you know, their personality and so forth, or some little petty thing like I've seen churches, you know, that got in a big church fight over whether they ought to use the piano or the organ as the main instrument. I know some churches that don't want a piano in the church. I know churches, independent Baptist churches, that disallow drums and guitars in the church. And, and so sometimes we let those little things create huge problems that hinders God's work. And I want to tell you, I don't want to be responsible for, for being somebody that creates division in the Lord's church because that little thing that I blow all out of proportion and what have you and create a big problem and hurt a lot of people and hinder the ministry of the church is something that uh, is going to come back to haunt me later on, and it'll do the same for you. It's a dangerous thing for you and I to do something that'll hinder the Lord's church. This is, as the Bible speaks of it, is His bride. And we, we need to treat the church with all due respect as being the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ and give ourselves to its ministry. So let's enter into this new year focused on the little things. If we focus on the little things, the big things will take care of themselves. You know, we could say, well, man, I just hope at the end of next year that we've got a 1,000 in attendance. Well, that's okay. That's wonderful. Uh, have to build some more buildings, but, you know, we, we can do that. God can do that, you know. But it starts with just reaching one more here and one more there. That's, that's the way it starts, and that, that's to where it leads. So just to sit back praying for a record attendance next week is one thing, but caring enough to invite your neighbor or to invite, you know, some relative, invite them to church, that's another thing. It seems like a little thing, but it becomes gigantic in the grand scheme of what God's trying to do. Focus on the little things. Amen. Let's all stand. We're going to sing a verse of invitation, and I hope you'll forgive me for cutting this off, but I, my mind can't, can't endure any more than uh, what I'm physically able right now, and I, I've got to get out of here. And, uh, and so... Very favorite